It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? It is Wednesday, September 13th, 7 p.m., and for the first time in a long time, all three of us are here on time for the start of a Behind the uh, Glass podcast, broadcast, live stream, whatever you want to call it. Earl the Pearl, Anthony Antonelli, McNuggets, the usual three, bringing you guys the latest on the Browns, previewing what's ahead and everything else that needs to be discussed as we move forward. We already got Jay Daniels in the chat. What up, Jay and Anthony? How you feeling, sir? A little lighter than before? A little bit. A little bit. Had to run home real quick. I uh, didn't think I was going to be on time, so I'm glad we set the record of being on time. Well, right, how you feeling today? I'm good. How, how was the podcast last week without me? Did y'all, did y'all hold it down? Uh, Bull took your spot at the end there, and it was, you know, it was Bull. Listen, uh, we missed you, Earl. It's, it's never the same without you. Last week, being the first week of football season, adding on all the graphics and games and stuff we make during football season that we don't do during the summer, uh, it was an inconvenient week for you to be off, but I know you need a little personal time. I know you can't schedule your friends' and family's weddings around our football schedule. So uh, let's yeah. just say we are very glad to have you back in the fold and sounding better than you did this morning. Yeah, it sounded better than I did this morning, man. Still trying to, uh, you know, push through, do what we got to do. I think you alluded to it. Right now, we are the worst-sounding trio of production team <laughs> probably in all of Cleveland right now. But we still getting the job done. We still making sure that the content is fire. So we're going to do what it do. You guys are from Ohio, you know, born and raised. Is it? Are the allergies always this bad? I feel like my allergies have never been worse than they've been in this last two-week span here. In Cle- and I live downtown. Like, they're killing me. Like, brutal. Yeah, Maz has been bad, too. I know for me, it comes and goes. Like, I don't normally feel like this, but when I do, it takes, like, two or three weeks for it to get out of my system. So, Christ, I think yeah. it's been a bad allergy season this year. I've never had fall allergies until, like, the last two years. Sorry. Yeah. That's All it. right, well, here's what's on the docket today. We're going to give another minute or two to let people get in here. We're going to talk, put a final bow, a recap, a uh, a final chef's kiss to the Browns' week one performance against Cincinnati. We're going to preview the Browns' biggest matchups in Monday Night Football between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. We're going to talk about which cornerback on the Browns is really DB1 or CB1, and the fact that we can even have that discussion is a testament to what Cleveland has put together in its secondary we're also going to answer some questions from you guys about whatever you have, but mostly in relation to UCSS moving the last half hour of its Friday show to WKYC. Why we're doing it, what it means, and how it's going to, in the long run, help the YouTube show and everyone who watches on YouTube. But one thing we do want to stress, and we'll answer your questions on that at the end of the show, mm-hmm. YouTube's still our first priority. Like We are not leaving the people who made us who we are. We have not forgotten about you guys. We will not forget about you guys. And I promise you, everything we're doing on the TV side will then be eventually put on YouTube. And we are hopefully doing this to expand the audience and have a product that we can then put on both at the same time. But we're never forgetting about the YouTube people, especially the people who show up every day in the chat, who engage with us, who comment on our polls, vote in our polls, comment on our question today, all that stuff. You guys really are uh, the real MVPs of this whole process. And nothing we do will ever be without you guys in mind. So just keep that in the back of your head as you hear about all these new developments here with UCSS. Earl, and before we dive in, do you guys want to add anything to that? We're going to get into it at the end of the show, but do you guys want to add anything to the UCSS to WKYC thing before we do van questions later? You know, I'm not a – I wasn't here from the start of this, but I've been here for a very long time now. And uh, like you said, you know, the the YouTube part of this, that's that's where we rooted. That's home base. That's where we grounded at. 
I can't thank you all enough from the bottom of my heart, you know, from for accepting me, accepting all three of us into your homes, into your cars, wherever you be on a day-to-day basis. We appreciate you all. We try our best every day to give you the best content available. And, um, you know, we're just trying to grow this thing in, a di- in as many different ways as we possibly can. But, yeah, we ain't going nowhere, man. We ain't never leaving YouTube, man. This little YouTube show ain't little no more, but we're going to be on YouTube. We ain't going nowhere. Yeah, no, we ain't, we're we're not small, and that's thanks to everybody here. Uh, I think this is gonna be a wonderful opportunity for all of us, for the fans, for us, for the talent. So I'm excited to get it started. But just know, you guys are still top top of mind. We'll be there still every day, two hours on YouTube, except for Friday. Yeah, so we're gonna put a little bow tie on Cincinnati, and then we'll dive into Pittsburgh. But Earl, it has been now one, two, three. Almost three and a half full days since that absolute beatdown of the mm-hmm. Bungles on Sunday. We did the post game show. You gave your initial thoughts then. Is there anything you want to build on, talk about, capitalize on from that defensive performance or from the offense, really, in any performance from that total team win that you have a final thought here? It's almost like a final take, but give us your final take now, three and a half days removed from the win on how you're going to remember and look at that Browns 24-3 win over the Bengals. I mean, I think that any time that you can come out and beat a divisional opponent, you know, especially the first game of the season, it does something to set the tone. And once you set the tone, you know, it sets a certain attitude for the entire team going forward, especially a team that's just went and played in the AFC Championship. Now, we know we got the Cincinnati Bengals. We're 6-1 over the last seven games against Cincinnati, but – it was a lot of noise that, you know, was being chirped. And then you think about everything that led up into that game, you know, people not really knowing how to view the Browns, not how to judge the Browns, just a lot of, you know, uncertainty around this football team. I think that defense solidified itself as being for real. And I believe that this defense, you know, it won't always be as as dominant as it was last Sunday. But I think that this defense can maintain this level of play, uh, this style of play throughout the entire season. So it'll be interesting to see how this unit goes into Pittsburgh um, in a hostile environment and do what they have to do. Now, as far as the offense, I think that the offense played about average. You know, Nick Chubb did his thing. He bought out. We all know Deshaun Watson didn't have a, a good game throwing the football, but he did enough to lead his team to victory. And I think that if – if I'm somebody that's on the offensive side of the ball, I'm encouraged because, yeah, it was a lot of throws that was in the dirt. It was a lot of throws that hit the ground. But he also hit, he also connected on some dimes. And at the end of the day, he did lead, you know, a lot of scoring drives down there. So yeah. I think that when you look at that, I'm, I'm encouraged. Deshaun Watson didn't play well. The offense didn't play that great. We had some drops and things like that. And we still came out victorious, you know, and we talk about, you know, the three styles of play or the three or, or the three components that coming away with a victory. And that's winning the game in the trenches. That's me. I mean, being able to control the line of scrimmage, you know what I mean? Strong defense and turnover battle. And we won two of the three categories and we came off victorious. And so if the Browns can approach, take that approach every single week and just make sure that they win two of the three categories, I think they'll be OK. And I think that this thing is for real. And I think it's only going to gain steam as we as we move forward. And. Last thoughts on the uh, Bengals game? Yeah, I, I think the defense actually exceeded my expectations a little bit. I, I expected them to be not too much higher than they were last year with Jim Schwartz. I, I wanted to see it for myself, and I think they blew me out of the water with how well they played. Uh, thanks for me. Thanks me for drafting T. Higgins on two of my fantasy teams, and thanks Martin Emerson for not letting him get a single catch. The offense, it was shaky, but I mean... It, it's Cleveland weather, you know, when that stuff happens, you expect it to be shaky. And that's why I'm happy we have Nick Chubb. Chubb got it done. And when you put mix in versus Chubb, I'll take Chubb every time. Yeah, I'll wrap this up real quick. Uh, I still have questions about the offense. I don't think we possibly could have answered those questions. Joe Burrow was horrendous. Deshaun Watson wasn't great. I think they'll both be fine in the long run, but I do know this defense is legit. The way they played in the preseason translated almost copy and paste into the regular season. And when you have the amount of talent they have, especially on the defensive line and in that secondary, in bad elements, you should dominate. They did. And I do think it's going to start opening 
eyes of people outside of Cleveland to how talented this roster is. We talked time and time again throughout the preseason and the training camp sessions and the offseason about how the Browns and Andrew Barry in particular had mm-hmm. added talent to positions of need on this roster. And you saw on Sunday in all three phases, at least defensively, they were stout. Is it sustainable at three points a game for the rest of this season? No, they're going to give up a touchdown. I promise you, breaking news, bold prediction, the Browns will give up at least one touchdown this season. A team will score more than three points at least once this season. So, you know, I think what we saw is translatable and sustainable. I just don't think at that level of uh, play, you're not going to hold every quarterback to under 100 yards. You're not going to hold every team to fewer than 200 yards. That was kind of the anomaly but it's the right side of the anomaly. I still have questions on offense. Hopefully we get them answered on Monday. And that's where we got to transition to Earl. When you look at okay, the Oh, I had, a, I had a question for you on shoot, that though. Before no, we no, 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 go. Ask away. So, so, two things on that. On, on the yeah. other side, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, us three have, 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 uh, we've done a pretty significant deep dive into Grant Delpit, right? We all well, we all believe that last year we started to see the potential of the guy that we thought we drafted at that time. And, you know, just seeing him game one in Jim Schwartz's uh, system, you know, it, it really got me excited about, okay, this is the dude that, you know, he, he looked like LSU Grant Delpit. He looked like that guy that was in the box being able to make some plays. Um, you know, I like – I think it was a play late in the fourth quarter. It was a third down play. And, you know, he just kind of came out there, closed it out real quick, made sure that the receiver wouldn't be able to get the uh, the, the first down, and that was yeah, something that we tackled didn't great. See. His tackling was phenomenal. Yeah, that, the whole that team was really, by the way, tackled phenomenally. Yeah, that, that was something that we didn't see. And, uh, yeah. I mean, to your point, no, it's not going to be that dominant uh, week in and week out, man. But the one thing that we do know about the National Football League is if you got a good running game and if you got a good defense – those two elements travel. And the Browns look like, even though it was way, way early, we know what we got in each other, but it looked like the Browns got, you know, that defense to go with it. Yeah, we, we've we seen, and I don't want to get on a tangent on this, but we get back to it. running and defense can win in the regular season. It's very hard to win in the postseason with running and defense. You become the, the Tennessee Titans if you have a good defense and a running game and no quarterback. I don't think Deshaun Watson counts as a no quarterback, but we still got to see it from number four before we know he's back. And tomorrow on the show, a little teaser. Our lead topic is whether or not this is the game Deshaun Watson breaks out and cracks that 300-yard barrier in a Cleveland Browns uniform. Moving ahead to the Steelers game, Earl. And and actually, I want want you to start this one. When you look at these two rosters on Monday Night Football in front of a national stage, where do the Browns have their biggest advantage over the Squealers? Oh, probably a quarterback, easily. I don't think Kenny Pickett is that at all. I'm not going to spoil the headlines for tomorrow, but a lot of them are taking shots at Kenny Pickett and his inability to throw the ball effectively. That's where I'm looking. Earl, I mean, because I'm going to me, I I got, I got two different areas, right? Well, pick pick one because I bet you we have the same one for one of the others. So I think I know where you're going. I'll pick one. I think the place that we got the biggest advantage, because I know where you're going, even though it's two places. So I'm going to say, 1B. I'm going I'm to let you okay. have 1A. Okay. 1B for me would be our DBs to their wide receiver group, right? Perfect. Good choice. You know, if, if you look at our entire DB room, you look at Emerson Jr., Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom. Uh, hell, we didn't even see Juan Thornhill last week. Yep. We, we he, just talked he's about, supposed to play. Expected yeah, we just, to play. We just talked about Grant Delpit. You know, Rodney McLeod came in and he held it down. When you look at our defensive backs, we already know the Pittsburgh Steelers is going to be without Deontay Johnson which is a, is a significant loss in my opinion because, yeah, you know, George Pickens is considered the, the deep threat or the big play guy, but when you don't have a guy like Deontay Johnson out there, it's easier to roll more coverage over to Pickens. It's easier to make him more of a focal point of what you're going to do to stop whatever passing attack that Kenny Pickett might have. Um, Allen Robinson has become a journeyman wide receiver. He's not somebody that I'm necessarily worried about. And so when I look at their pass catching room and I look at RDBs, hands down, it's advantage Browns. I already know where you're going. So go ahead and get did, the people. Did you see want. my tweet earlier? I seen your tweet. Yeah, that, that's where I'm going. Right. Listen, we have made a lot, and, and rightfully so, about how Dewan Jones and Jed Wills are going to have to stand up and block TJ Watt, who's an all pro, and Alex Highsmith, who is one of the better pass rushers in the NFL that you don't hear of a lot. 
He's not on the same level as Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, Max Crosby, Micah Parsons. He's not on that, that level. But the dude is a very effective pass rusher, and it helps when you play next to Cam Hayward and TJ yeah. Watt. You're getting a lot of one-on-one opportunities. However, we haven't talked about this yet in the show, and it's one of the things we'll talk about in the coming days on UCSS. It helps when we have an extra day, by the way, when they play on Monday. Absolutely. We'll out some of these gold topics, but how in the world are the Pittsburgh Steelers supposed to block the Browns' defensive line. Listen, is the Browns' defensive line the best in football? Maybe. Might be. I don't know yet. It's one game. I do know they're very talented. I also know San Francisco's defensive line is in that same category, in that same discussion with Cleveland up there as one of the most talented, one of the most effective defensive lines in football. Last week, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they generated 28 pressures on Kenny Pickett. 28 Not like eight, not like two plus eight's 10, like 28. Kenny Pickett dropped back 34 times, was pressured 28 times. When Kenny Pickett tried throwing the ball, he had a 250 to 300 pound man in his face trying to take his head off. Well, okay, that's 49ers. What about the Browns? Well, I have a stat for you guys. Last week against the Bengals, the Browns defense had an average time of pressure of 1.95 seconds. Okay, you want some context? According to True Media Sports, that's the sixth fastest average time of pressure by a defense in a single game they've ever recorded. Ever. Ever? Ever. Now, the data only goes back five years. But in five years, that is the sixth fastest total team time of pressure they've ever seen. So let me put that into what that means for the Steelers and the Browns on Monday night. The Steelers can't block. The Browns have a damn good pass rush, and Kenny Pickett was running for his life against San Francisco. That should be the same case on Monday night. Grades-wise, PFF, we talked about it on Tuesday. It doesn't exactly always match up. However, the Steelers' left tackle had a grade of 33.7. Jed Wills was 25% better than this guy, according to PFF, and we all know how he felt about Jed Wills' performance against the Bengals. Their left guard had a 40.1 grade, according to PFF lower than Jed Wills. Their center, a 49.2. That's below 50. That's not good. Their right guard, a 54. And the leader of their offensive line grades was Chukwuma Okafor, who had a 60.6 grade, who is questionable to play in this game. I understand PFF is not the end-all, be-all. But when you look at what the Browns did defensively last week, we look at the talent on that Browns defensive line. We look at the production. Guys like Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, Ogbo, Dalvin Tomlinson have done in the past against that defense, against that offensive line of Pittsburgh. There is no reason, zero reason the Browns should not be in Kenny Pickett's face all night long. If he had nightmares about the 49ers, then Miles Garrett is the boogeyman all week that he's having to deal with. Zadarius Smith is Freddie Cougar coming in his dreams. Or Jason, which one's the one that, that haunts your dreams? And this is up your alley. Is it Cougar or, or Freddie? Uh, or a Jason. Well, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, it's yeah. Freddy. It's Freddy, yeah. yeah. Zedary Smith is Freddy Krueger, and the rest of that Browns defensive line is like the, the boogeyman who lives under the bed. This should be an absolute annihilation up front, and the biggest advantage in my mind for the Browns is in the trenches. I mean, the games are won and lost in the trenches, right? And as we talked about in the first segment of the show, you know, one of the things that the Browns did against Cincinnati was, you know, they controlled the line of scrimmage. They dominated the trenches on both sides of the ball. And I truly don't see this week being that much different, right? You know, we talk about is the Browns defensive line number one in the NFL? Um, I say no. I would say that, you know, we definitely have a top three or four defensive line in, in the entire league. San Francisco is probably the class. If you look at that entire team, Mike, I don't know if you agree, but, you know, for every other team in the NFL, including the Super Bowl champions, it was week one. Man, they look like they they it was, they look like they was in midseason form the, the first week of the season. The 49ers, when Brock Purdy plays, they look like the best team that's ever suited yeah. up. When and he's so, played full games, they haven't lost. I think they're 10-0 yeah. now in games that he hasn't got knocked out of. And yeah. so when I look at their defensive line, and I know what the Cleveland Browns defensive line is capable of, I could be totally honest with you, man. Right now, uh, according to ESPN.com, the line is the Browns minus two and a half. I really don't think this game is going to be close. I think that this is going to be a coming out party for that defense and for that offense. And we'll get to the offense and Deshaun Watson in a minute. But I think that 
I think the defense is going to show that week one wasn't a fluke, that week yeah. one wasn't just, you know, an isolated situation. And what better way to do it in a hostile environment that you haven't won in in so long under the lights in Monday Night Football? We talk all the time about the attitude of this defense. Of course, you know, when you look at uh, Jim Schwartz, you know, being a leader of that attitude is a reflection of leadership. And so I'm looking at this like, okay, Orlando Brown is, you know, he just got paid to go to Cincinnati and he can do a damn thing with Miles Garrett. He got so, work, Earl. He got, he got work. work. And so I don't see how none of these dudes in Pittsburgh is going to be able to stop that. You got Ogbo, you know, you, you got Zadarius Smith, you, you, you got Miles Garrett. We already know what you got on the inside. Shelby Harrisman in this first action with Cleveland, he bought out when he got his opportunities in there. You just look at the rotational pieces amongst that defensive front. The Cleveland Browns is going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. I'm the biggest person on this team that I might be worried about that I'm not really worried about is Najee Harris, right? I don't think Kenny Pickett is going to have much time to look downfield. And I don't think our DBs is going to give up too much downfield to where, you know, he had 28 pressures against him last week. I wouldn't be shocked if the Browns matched that number, if I'm being totally honest with you. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they matched that number because yeah, I don't see that offensive line being able, to, being able to hold up against another quality defensive front two weeks in a row. What's crazy is you hear that number 28, and that's Ash, like the Browns had 13 pressures against Joe Burrow. Like, 28 is an absurd number. And 13, by the way, is an absurd number. They hit Joe Burrow 10 times. They're the third most quarterback hits in the league. Like, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. 28's absurd. I'm going to have to double-check to make sure I didn't read that wrong. Uh, but I double-checked earlier because I thought I read it wrong. And then uh, I saw it again. I was like, no, that that that's right. 28. It's just stupid. The fact that the Browns could have the conversation early, it's a great question. The fact that we could say, yeah, it's possible they could have 28 and or more. Like, that is such a position to be, uh, such a power position to be in going into Monday Night Football. And that's why what scares me most about this game is how damn good I feel about it, Earl. Like, we haven't, and I say we. Can I actually make something clear very, very quickly? I had someone DM me earlier today. was like, I didn't know you were a Giants fan. I can't take you seriously anymore. Somebody like, said it to you for real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As if I've ever hid the fact I'm a Giants fan ever. Like, I was born in New Jersey. I, I grew up watching Giants games with my dad. Like, So sorry. what did they think that you was – I mean, you witnessed two Super Bowls. You're from listen, that era. Listen, people don't know Eli Manning is your favorite here, player. Here, that was here's what I want to tell people. My paycheck is tied to the Browns winning. The Browns winning means yeah. we get more views. We do better. I'm a Browns fan. Like, yeah, I want the Giants <laughs> to win as well, but – I need the Browns to win a lot of games, win a Super Bowl, so I get paid more money. Trust me. I am all in on Cleveland. My Listen. financial future is tied to the Browns. That means more to me than anything else. So when trust somebody me. asked me at my cousin's wedding, right, they was like, you know, what you thinking about the Browns? I say, man, I hope I'm working to February. That's, what I'm, I, yeah. I, that's it. Oh. That's all. Like, yeah. That's, like, a, that's a good way to look at it. My, yeah. I, I, I'm objective. I'll tell you what I think. If you ever think that I'm being biased to the Giants over the Browns, they don't even play each other. They haven't played in what ten years. They haven't played. Whenever they play again, we'll have that conversation. The Giants, Giants don't affect how I look Bowl. at the Browns. I couldn't tell you who the Giants' backup left guard is. I can tell you all fifty-three men yeah. on the Browns roster. Trust me, that ain't <laughs> affecting nothing about my job. What I was saying though, Earl, is I I feel so good about this game. I was talking to someone in the gym today, okay. and he was like, "Man, I'm feeling a twenty-point blowout," and I'm like, "Me too." And that's terrifying because this is a team that the Browns haven't beaten in Pittsburgh in the regular season in 19 tries. Like, it it almost feels like we're too confident. But I think Browns, the team, and fans have every right to be confident because on paper, this team should absolutely smack the ever-living gobsnap out of the Steelers. Bro, I'm gonna yeah. be honest with you. Like, I'm right. I'm so confident to the point to where I want to say, you know, I'm almost at the point to where if the Browns don't beat these dudes by at least two touchdowns, man, that, the hair got to go. Like, that's how confident. That's how confident. Listen, that's how confident I am, man. In all seriousness, right? We know Mike Tomlin is a great coach. And I think that on both sides of the coin, we're looking at revisionist history. We're looking at the fact that the Cleveland Browns have been a dormant franchise for the better part of 20 years. We're looking at the fact that the that the Pittsburgh Steelers for the better part of 20 years have owned the Cleveland Browns, especially yeah. in Pittsburgh. 
And then if you flip the other side of the coin, Mike Tomlin is a coach of a team that even with an incompetent roster, somehow, some way, this team is always in the mix and this team is always at least average at minimum. But honestly, you could take that revisionist history and you could just throw it away. It's a new break. It's a new day. It's a new time. It's a new era. And I'm looking at this is, man, this Browns team is for real. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, beating a team like Cincinnati and your very first game of the year before you even go on the road to play Pittsburgh, I don't think some people understand what they can do for a team's psyche or yeah. what they can do at, for that team's confidence. Like the Browns internally already thought that they were good. And then you go out there and you put on a performance like that against a team that just played in the ASC championship, regardless of the conditions, because both teams had to deal with the conditions. That's not going to do anything but actually elevate that level of confidence, elevate that level of energy. And I truly believe, like me and you believe, that the Cleveland Browns is going to go in here Monday night, man, confident, expecting to win. I think for them in that locker room, they expect, you know, for the defense to play like that. They expect certain things out of themselves. And I think that's going to be on display. And this is not me just being a Browns fan and being biased. I really think we're going to beat the hell out of the Steelers on Monday night. And now all of a sudden, the Cleveland Browns is a national story after two weeks. Hey, if you're in the chat right now, drop a one if you think the Browns win by two or more touchdowns. Drop a two if you think it's within 13 points or closer. So give me a one if you think the Browns win by 14 or more. Give me a two in the chat if you think it's 13 or less. I saw someone ask what I was doing walking past the Justice Center earlier. I was just walking back to my apartment. I live downtown, so I was walking back to my apartment. If you were the dude who said shout out McNuggets as I was on the phone with my mom on the walk, I appreciate you. My mom was very happy. She was like, oh, look. (laughs) So shout out to you for making my mom's day. Uh, Yeah. Put ones in the chat if it's more than two touchdowns, two in the chat. If it's less, Earl, like I said earlier, bro, confidence is a good thing. It also terrifies me because overconfidence is real. But there, I, I have no reason, no matter how many different ways I look at this, mm-hmm. Kenny Pickett doesn't scare me. At all. There's not a single player on the Steelers offense that I'm like, oh, crap, we got to – there's not a Jamar Chase. You know what I mean? There's not someone yeah. a game-breaker by themselves. I don't believe in Najee Harris. They don't have Deontay Johnson. I think great, uh, George Pickens is super talented. He hasn't shown me enough yet to make me be scared of him. Pat Fryermuth, who might be their most dangerous offensive weapon at tight end, is coming off one of the hardest hits I've ever seen, and he's questionable to play with a chest injury. Defensively, they're without Cam Hayward. When you don't have your guy in the middle, it makes it infinitely more hard for your outside guys to rush because teams can chip, have a little guard help, on the outside, I understand they're going up against Dewan Jones and Jed Wills, who I don't, uh, you know, I don't think are elite tackles yet. But it is, uh, it's a lot easier without Cam Hayward. Deshaun Watson's due for a breakout game. Nick Chubb is Nick Chubb. Like you can't find a place on paper where the Steelers have an advantage over Cleveland, except in the history category. That's it. That's it. You know, and and honestly, man, like you know, history is just that. It's history. It has nothing to do with current day. You can't go back and rewrite it. You can't go back and change it for the good or the bad. All you can do is focus on the here and now, right? And here and now, on paper, um, you know, I test statistically, however you want to put it, the Cleveland Browns are a better football team. And I get the whole, you know, not trying to be overconfident. But, Mike, this thing has been building for four years, right? Kevin Stefanski is in year four of, of him being a head coach. And Jim Schwartz had been around, forgot. He was here with the original Browns and Bill Belichick. Yeah. The point yeah, I'm making is, is I think that you have leaders and you have people inside that organization and inside that locker room that will keep everything even keel. The one thing that I've known about Kevin Stefanski since he's been here in Cleveland is that he doesn't get too high or too low whether we win or lose, right? And I don't think he lets, allows his team to get the same way. And I just feel like that's the same approach. You know, you're coming off a big win – a dominant win, but that was last week. You know, yeah. you need to go out here and you need to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think it's very, very important that the Cleveland Browns actually come out and beat Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. You want to set the tone as letting people know, okay, this thing travels. This defense travels. We already know what this running game is. But not only that, man, now you're 2-0 in a division. We spent so much time this offseason once we got the schedule talking about you know, po- the possibility of the Browns being 0-2 and 0-3 and 
after the first uh, three divisional games, you know, within the first four weeks. But now it seems like the energy has shifted so much to where, okay, now you can look at this thing. You beat Pittsburgh. Now you two in on division with one more division and game to go in your next four. And now all of a sudden you looking pretty nice if you can take care of yeah. your business elsewhere throughout the season. And so I think this is a big game. You know, this is a huge game and it's hard to, you know, put that into context because it's only week two of the season. And typically what happens in week two has no bearing on the regular season. But just from a confidence standpoint, from an energy standpoint, you know, like iron sharpens iron. I say that yeah. all the time. Yep. And winning is contagious. And if you can come out here and then and, and you happen to beat them, and I know we probably finna transition to this, but if like, you know, you beat them soundly and your defense shows up, but then four comes out and he finally has that breakout game that we've been looking for. Now nah, it's over with. Oh, it's it's and yeah. so two things real quick. If you have a super chat, Anthony's making writing them down. We'll get to those at the end. If you have a question for myself, Earl Anthony, put it in the chat. Anthony's keeping an eye on that, and hopefully he will uh will put it in the chat. If you have a TV-related question about UCSS on WKYC. We will definitely answer those. Anthony is also looking for those in the chat. So drop a question. That is what Anthony's doing. If he's quiet, it's not that we forgot about Anthony. He is on chat duty for the next few minutes looking at questions. We appreciate all you guys for tuning in. Hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. This is Behind the Glass. Earl, we'll move on to Deshaun Watson and the cornerbacks in a sec. But real quick, we talked a little bit today. I'm getting a phone call. Hold on. Can I answer this on air real quick? I bet you won't. McKenna, I'm on air. You know better than this. Come oh, on, I girl. thought it was going to be Miss McNuggets. I'm on. Yeah. Are you not watching behind the glass right now? I'll send you the link. If I send you the link, you have to you have to hop in and, and drop a comment. Okay. You got to drop a comment in the YouTube chat. I'm on. Yeah. All right. I'm going to send you guys a link. We're going to get some guests. We're going to get some guests on the show. Those are my friends from uh from Texas, real quick. Not but here. very important. If the Browns put a beat down on the Steelers on national TV. Mind you, last week's game, as good as it was, was a 1 o'clock game, week one of football. Everyone's eyes were diverted because football is back. You cannot avoid what the Browns do on Monday night, despite the fact there's two Monday night games this week, which is stupid. If they put a beat down on the Steelers, there is 0% chance the national media can ignore what the Browns are doing because – this is the division heading into the season we said was as good as any division of football. Yeah. The Browns would now be 2-0 in sole – if the Ravens win, not sole possession. If the Bengals win, sole possession of first place. What that happens or, – or what happens when that happens is the lights get turned and shine right into Cleveland, and that's what mm -hmm. we all want because we all agree this roster, unbelievably talented. This coaching staff, well put together. This quarterback about to break out, and this defense has a chance to be special. We know that. There are 49 other states in the country that also need to know that. So I'm it's, excited. It's funny excited. because, you know, I've been um, – I won't I, – I, I've had this feeling. You already know. I already picked the Browns to go to the AFC Championship game long before the season kicked off. And for me, I guess, you know, I've been telling people – I've been telling y'all especially, I want people to keep the same energy they had. But the truth is they're not. They're just not. That's not. That's just not how things go. The Browns go out here and they dominate, you know, and come out victorious against Pittsburgh. Now all of a sudden everybody talking. You know, we got more people on the bandwagon, which is fine. You know, as long as the team itself stays focused on the things that they need to do and understand that we're taking this thing one week at a time. Yeah, first thing first, go out here and beat Pittsburgh. In this game, though, Mike, I, it's something it's something inside of me that feels like that Deshaun Watson didn't play that great week one, right? Yeah. But I'm pretty sure he's looked at the film already and understand, okay, I can get through this throwback. Me and you was going back and forth on the play today to where we felt like we're breaking it down know, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah it was two things that he could have done differently. And so, like, I'm I'm just looking at this thing that knowing that okay, he didn't play his best, but he was not god awful, right? Yeah. And and the fact that like they won the game without him being great. And now you get the opportunity, you know, coming off a big win. Um, energy is high. Confidence is high. I just got a feeling that, you know, national TV, after everything this man has been through, man, what, what against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, 
White Helmets debuting too. Hey. And what better yeah. way? <laughs> That's a good what point. Better, what, what better way to let people know that foe is still him than come out here and have a 300-yard passing game with at least two touchdowns through the air and hail another one with his legs? Like, yeah. I really feel like it's going to be that type of party. I think that two-and-a-half line, man, first of all, national TV, you at home and you already two-and-a-half-point underdogs. If you're a betting person, man, we already know what that is. They really don't think Pittsburgh got a shot for real. No, you know they just no. got to keep it close for the sake of keeping it close. Well, the lines the line started at minus one, and after the injuries, it jumped to to minus one two and a half. So it has changed a little bit based on injuries. But you are right, hey Earl. We talked about this this morning, and then you kind of walked back on it. But I, I think we should have the conversation regardless because it, it paints a bigger picture here. Yeah, you wanted to make the case that. MJ Emerson has supplanted Denzel Ward as the best cornerback on the Browns. And I said, all right, if you want to do that, I'll, I'll take Denzel Ward just for the sake of argument. And then you texted us earlier. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but you were like, yeah. I'm not sure I have a real case to make about Emerson. And I responded, well, I'm not sure I have a real case to make about Ward other than longevity. The fact that we can have this conversation, and this is excluding Greg Newsom, who I do think there's an argument to be made, that he's a damn good corner in his own right. Or not even an argument. He is a damn good corner in his own right. He just plays a little different position based on the alignment of how the Browns set up. He's in the slot now. We're looking at the outside corners. So we're not excluding Newsom. We just, we're talking right. about the outside guys here. Right. What was your thought process and why were you willing to stand on a, a limb for Emerson over Ward as, as DB1 this morning? And then what did you find in your research to prepare that kind of made you waver on it a little bit. The only thing that the only thing that has made me waver is because we've only seen it for one season, right? And it's hard to crown somebody after one year of play. And you know, this is not taking anything away from Denzel Ward or Greg Newsom. And I know we asked the question earlier today on our community tab of who we thought was the best cornerback on a Browns roster. And this is not the ultimate Cleveland sports show behind the glass crew trying to divide the defensive back room. We're thankful to have all of them. But it's a my, blessing. Like when I look at MJ Emerson, man, I see a long, physical, athletic, playmaking, ball hawking cornerback, right? And this is a dude that played in the SEC. Yeah, he didn't have the interception numbers, man. But I think Tyvis talked about this, and this is some research I did on myself, man. The pass breakups, always being around a football. You know, the ability to not, not be looking and still be able to pick up speed when he runs. Like, it's something about what my eyes see when MJ is out there. It just seems like, man, his playmaking ability jumps off the field. And I understand that he has not recorded an interception yet in the NFL. but And you can't count what he did last year in preseason. But just think about this, right? Just And, and I just want the fans that's watching to just to paint the picture with your eye test damn the numbers right now his very first game in the nfl he had a pick six you know preseason or not mike this is still an nfl you still got to go out there and you're going against other professionals right you think about this past preseason right uh, on a play that was called dead he yeah, snatches yeah. the ball right out the receiver hand and he would have been going for another six we talk about last sunday the dude caught more passes from joe burrow than t higgins did even though he was called out of bounds to me this is a dude that's very durable. This is a dude that's very physical. He has great ball hawking skills. He seems like that he knows, he seems like he knows every route that his opponent, opposing wide receiver is running at all times. And this is not to take anything away from Denzel Ward, but one of the biggest Achilles heels with Denzel Ward has been availability, yeah. right? And when you look at Martin Emerson Jr., he's been available. You know, he plays with a certain tenacity that's just like ridiculous. And, you know, and I've said this, you know, on this show, I said this on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. I truly believe that by the end of this season, MJ Emerson is going to be CB1. And I'm not saying that to throw shade at Denzel Ward or Greg Newsom. I just think this dude is that good. I, I seriously believe, like, if you can go back and redraft that draft, MJ Emerson is a first-round pick. Uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, I don't think that's even a discussion. Right, that, it's not, that, it's that not even a, no, a discussion. No brainer, like, he's a first round pick. This this dude is that good, man. And so, like for me, you know, when when if I had to pick, he would be my CB one. So, 
it's funny because when I was looking into this and trying to figure out how to make the case for Ward, I, I also went to the eye tester and I thought, all right, if it's fourth down, right, and I'm testing one of the Browns' corners, I'd rather test Denzel Ward than Martin Emerson, right? Fair. If it's first down and I'm on my own, like, 25, 30-yard line, I'd rather test Emerson than I test Ward. The reasoning behind that is until I see MJ Emerson snatch a couple passes out the air, I'm just more afraid of Denzel Ward coming down with the interception. Same thing with Greg Newsom. Until I see it, I'm not saying they can't. I saw Emerson do it at, at Mississippi State against Texas A&M when I was covering them. Uh -huh. But I think Ward is a bigger threat to actually pick the ball off. I think Emerson's a better guy to negate a catch. And you saw him run as Tyvis broke down so eloquently on the show. If you guys missed Coach Tyvis today on Emerson, I highly that, recommend going back to our YouTube channel and watch that. I thought, in my opinion, it was his best one yet. The way he was able to uh, describe what Emerson was doing, what he was thinking, the adjustments he made mid-play that yeah. only an NFL defensive back could kind of show you. We, we kind of know what we're talking about when it comes to yeah. the technique stuff. Tyvis knows it as well as anybody. Uh, impressive. And there was no room for Joe Burrow to complete a pass against either of, either of them. Yeah. But at no point... That I think Ward was, I mean, uh, Emerson was like half a step from actually picking it off. There was one or two where it was up there, and I was like, well, Ward might come down with that. So you can make a case for either. I think it's a great problem to have. It's a huge, it's a, it's a significant, there are a lot of teams that would love problem. to have any of those three, including Newsom, as their first top defensive back. And the fact the Browns have three of them is a testament to the talent in the second there. They also have Delpit and Juan Thornhill, who in their own rights, or ball hawking safeties as well. Last year, the Browns did not come up with a ton of interceptions. They were bottom half of the league in interceptions and turnovers uh, in general. This year, that can't be the case. They didn't have any turnovers against Joe Burrow in week one, but when we come back and do our week 18 postgame show, Earl, the Browns better be in the top half of the league because they have way too many playmakers in the front line with Garrett, Smith, Ogbo, all those guys up front, and on the back end to not be forcing fumbles interceptions, and I want to see some pressure interceptions. I want to see uh, this week, for example, Kenny Pickett get absolutely walloped, throws a duck up there, and we see Juan Thornhill or Delpit come in, get the interception, run back for a touchdown. Do so, you think that this is the week that we see either MJ Emerson or Greg Newsom get their first career interception? Well, I don't want to tease the headlines too much, so I'm going to just say wait and, uh, wait and find out. But I'll give you a sneak hint. The answer is not no. <laughs> okay. I won't tell yeah. you what the answer is. I'm just gonna tell you. That's it, a good it, way to put it. <laughs> you know, when, when when I look at Greg Newsom, I don't know about you two, but you know, I remember when he came on our show, and um, he, you know, he talked about playing in the in the slot or the nickel corner position under Joe Woods, and you could just read his body language, and you can tell that was not something that you know he had a a, a great a fun time doing. That was not something that made his job enjoyable. But I looked at him. You know, last week against the Bengals, me personally, I thought that was the best game in his career. And, I, and I'm not trying to over-exaggerate that at all. I truly thought that was the best game in his career. It seemed like that he was put in a position to do what he do well, and he exceeded doing so. So I don't know if you all saw anything different. I know our DBs didn't grade out well according to PFF, but based on the eye test alone, I thought Greg Newsom ball playing the nickel corner position. And I thought that he played free. And it seemed like that, you know, he wasn't – he knew what he needed to do. He wasn't reacting to what was going on. It seemed like he was a step ahead. And and just to see that, as you said, man, we got great problems. When you yeah. got three cornerbacks like that, like, it's that's hell on wheels. We just went up against arguably the best wide receiver core in the entire NFL. And I'm sorry if you expect me to believe that George Pickens, Allen Robinson, and I don't know who else – it's going to get these dudes a hard time. I just don't see it coming. Yeah, so he, the, the reality of the situation is the Steelers are going to throw for more than 82 yards. Like, it's hard to believe. Maybe. Or imagine Maybe. A Maybe. I mean, Maybe. It, Maybe. You're, you're right. And the crazy thing is I can't even be like, well, 82 yards is nothing in today's NFL. Yeah. But at the same time, you're right. Like, I don't think their offensive line can block. I don't think their receivers are – they don't have an advantage at any spot on the outside. 
wide receiver one, two, or three over the Browns defensive backs, Ward, Emerson, Newsom. Like, I don't think they have an advantage there. I don't think their offensive line can block. I don't think Kenny Pickett's that good. I, You're right. I still need to throw for more than 82 yards because in today's day and age, 99 out of 100 times you throw for more than 82 yards. But Anthony, if they uh, throw for fewer than 82 yards, would you be like, like on a scale of 110, how shocked would you be? Uh, after the way we played, considering we're playing a significantly worse team, I wouldn't be terribly shocked. But let me ask you, how many passing attempts is Pickett going to have to have to hit those 82 yards or more with what yeah, we're going to Let me pull up the box score from their game against the Steelers. Hold on, uh, the Niners. Hold on one sec. So against the 49ers, they lost 30-7. to They were down at one point 20 nothing. Kenny Pickett threw the ball 46 times for 232 yards. Okay, they, they might have more than that. So if you're losing, like, you're going to throw the ball a lot more. I think part of the reason the Bengals' passing numbers were so minuscule was Joe Burrow couldn't hold on to the football. Like, he was not just bad. He was otherworldly horrific. And... Had he been able to grip the football, I think it would have been a, a little bit of a different game. I'm not saying the Bengals would have won, but I don't think it would have been that uh, dominant of a defensive performance just because he literally couldn't throw the football. It almost looked like watching the NFC Championship game last year after Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson got hurt. It wasn't simply all runs, but the Browns kind of knew what the Bengals could and couldn't do. So, you know, I, I'd i be shocked. I'd say I'd be say this. 8 out of 10 shocked. Eight out of ten, I, or what's what, out of ten? I'll say this: He threw for two hundred and thirty-two yards. A lot of that was in garbage time. If he if he was around two thirty, I don't think he gets higher than two thirty. I don't. I, I would take under two thirty. I, I would take I'd the under over, under two thirty. How about this? Between eighty-two and two thirty, I give like a ninety-six percent chance that it's between those two numbers. Yeah, like I, I don't I don't think it's gonna be a good day. He was sacked five times, <laughs> threw two interceptions, and so. You know, you going up against basically a duplicate of what you went up against last week, a quality team with a damn good defensive line. And, you know, and here's the crazy part. I think the Browns have better DBs than the San Francisco 49ers do. They do. And so if if you're going up against a team that, you know, has the same quality of defensive line, but a better quality of defensive backs in the secondary, then I really think, man, this is going to be the game to where the Browns, let the world know that they here, that they for real, and that they're going to compete with. Every- oh, did we lose Earl? Did every lose team Earl? in the AFC, all of 2023, that they won't. Awesome. How much right, of that did y'all We're going to answer and read some super chats. Real I think quick it just lagged real quick before we wrap up. Uh, the first one, Anthony, you want to read these super chats? Uh, yeah, I'll read a couple of them, and then you can read a couple of them. We'll take turns. All right. So our first one here comes from Chris King. Kalas, I think I'm pronouncing that right. $5. This secondary reminds me of the 1985 originally dog pound members. Dixon, Minifield, Wright, and Gross. Woof, woof. Woof, woof. Where my dog's at? Woof, woof. Let's see. Next, we've got Professor Chaos. I believe after this season, people will be talking about Jim Schwartz being the biggest signing of the year. I actually kind of... that That's not far off. All right, Earl. This is going to be a topic on the show. I wanted to wait for after week two to get a little more results. But let me ask you this now. And then we'll see if it changes. But okay, uh, where okay, what's by the way for y'all people out here? I can't know if you see this. This is all content ideas. These are just all st- random. I don't want to uh, yes, show you exactly white page. This is all just random things, ideas for rainy days that I just my random mind comes up with. But this is a topic. You ready? What was the biggest upgrade this season? Jim Schwartz from Joe Woods, Thornhill from John Johnson. Zadarius Smith from Clowney or Tomlinson from Taven Bryan? Uh, I think it's easily as, as Jim Schwartz, right? Because the trickle-down effect is 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 more significant. You know, Jim Schwartz being in the building helps Kevin Stefanski become a better head coach. Jim Schwartz didn't win a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator. Jim Schwartz is a guy that spent a, long, a, a lot of time around Bill Belichick. So just his knowledge of the game, his experience – um, the winning cultures that he's been a part of, you know, you bring that into the building and to the coaching staff, and then you can help the other coaches, you know, on the staff and, and help them in, in that area. And then, of course, the impact that he will have on the players. And so you can argue that 
you know, some of those guys that you just mentioned probably would have been better players for the Browns if Jim Schwartz was the defensive coordinator last year. So when I look at it, I think that the addition of uh, Jim Schwartz and that being the biggest upgrade because it has a more significant trickle-down impact on everybody else in the organization. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that answer is answered after week two, and then when we revisit it in week four, six, eight, ten, to see if it changes depending on the overall effectiveness of this defense and, and frankly, how well Zadarius and Tomlinson play. So, uh, Ant, you want to keep going with these? I think we have one more from uh, Chris King Callis. You skipped. Uh, so, Chris King, he – that message was the same twice. So, the, the oh, Sean Watson one? Never mind. You're right. I did miss one. I apologize. Don't so, from fight, Chris King Callis, Deshaun Watson was perfect, uh, has the perfect opportunity to shut down the naysayers by shining on Monday night, coming out to party. <laughs> I agree. We're talking about that. That is the lead topic tomorrow, by the way, guys. Make sure you tune in. It is G, J, and Bull, the OG3 tomorrow. Uh, we'll be I, Watson. I think that Deshaun Watson got a good opportunity, man, to just let people know yeah. he him. The naysayers is going to be naysayers. People who don't like Deshaun Watson is not going to like Deshaun Watson, regardless of what he go out there and do. You know, for Cleveland Browns fans, for people who want to see this team, you know, take it to the next level, like this is an opportunity for him to let people know that he still got that it factor. And everybody's been waking, waiting for that 300-yard-plus performance, that multiple touchdown performance. So, you know, this is a great opportunity uh, for him to go out there and put all of that on display. Yeah, and I, I do think with the national stage too, and the fact that Cam Hayward's not playing, it uh, it'll be fun. I, I am I am worried. Not worried. That's the wrong word. I'm curious to see without Hayward, if Stefanski just goes heavy chub, like that middle of their defense without Hayward is pretty weak. Their starting defensive tackle now in the middle of that three four without Cam Hayward is a third round rookie. So I'm curious if Stefanski, who, as Leroy pointed out today, made some adjustments in that first game we hadn't seen him make in the past. He yeah. went and said, hey, the weather sucks. Deshaun uh, not playing great. Let's run the ball at Chubb. Let's, let's feed our best player offensively. I'm curious to see if we see that again just based on the matchups, knowing that it's a rookie right tackle and Jed Wills as left tackle against two good pass rushers. The middle of that defensive line may be where they're most vulnerable. So I'm curious to see if uh, if it's a heavy Nick Chubb game and that may stymie the numbers of Deshaun Watson, but I'm not too worried about the actual numbers. Whether he throws for 320 or 220, we'll know how Deshaun Watson looks by the quality yeah. of those throws, not necessarily the quantity. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the Browns are going to have whatever game plan that they have going into that game. Only thing I want to see Kevin Stefanski do is you know adjust to the adjustments. Adjust your game plan to whatever's working despite uh, what you might have installed or what you wanted to do, et cetera. So just adjust to whatever they're doing like you did last week and just keep this thing going. So I do want to see one thing, if, and we'll do real quick, one thing each. One thing you'd love to see from Watson, the one thing I want to see is if they dial up some sort of deep shot from Marquise Goodwin, it is not underthrown. Regardless of weather conditions, I don't care. Wind, rain, snow, sleet, lightning, thunder, I don't care. You throw that ball as far as humanly possible and let your track start catch up. To. That's what I want to see from uh, from Watson. Yeah, I think that's what I want to see the most too. Well, I mean, I was going to pick something different for the sake of being different, yeah. but, you know, we went over that, that play. I want to yeah. see that exact same play, and I want to see it executed to perfection. Uh, Ty, thank you. I'm, I'm trying to, man. I'm trying to. You imagine the balls of Stefanski if he runs that trick play back, like, exactly the same? I think he will. It might be flipped. I think it might be flipped, but I think he's going to run it back. I definitely think it'd be the same thing, but he's definitely going to run it back. Now that it's on uh, on film, it'll be interesting to see. But Stavansky's done it before. We'll we'll see if he does it again. And what's next up on the uh, the chat? All right. So from this one comes from Gregory H. Do you guys have any concerns about linebacker? They played well in week one. I have no reason to be concerned until I have a reason to be concerned. I feel the same way. No reason to be until it's time to be. They're all healthy. They played well. We all thought that group was weak because of the instability and unpredictability of them. Yeah. But when they're healthy, I think we all think it's a pretty talented group. So right now, they're all healthy. Not too worried. Yeah. All right. And then from Kathy Sedlecki, I think might be how you pronounce that. Do you think this team might be better than the Spice Era? Than who? The Spice Era is. The Spice Era. I'm not I'm sure. 
I'm showing off my lack of being from Cleveland. I have no yeah, idea this what the Spice is, Era is. I, I'm going to pull the I was born in 97 card. Is he talking the Spice Girls? When were the Spice Girls around? I just, I'm reading the... Maybe. I wonder if you mean a Sipe Era. I, I, bet, I bet you she means a site. That has to be it, right? I mean, I I I, I can I can only assume they mean a site. Prob- probably. I mean, I wasn't alive during the Brian Sipe era, so you know it's kind of really hard for me to answer that question. I do know more Browns history. I put it to you this way: This is the best team I've seen since 1999. You know, that's that's as far as back as I can go with that. This is the best team that we've seen since 1999. The most talented team. And I think this is the highest expectations that Cleveland Browns fans has had probably since I was born in 87 when we were winning AFC championships in 87 and 88. So uh, we'll see. All right. What's next? Just for the record, I read your guys' message verbatim. All right. From Creative Juice, we have safe to say the elf is here to stay. Should fans embrace it more now that some smack talk backfired on an opponent? You listen, if the elf pisses people off, and by people I mean other players – and then it turns into bulletin board material for the Browns, then sure. I still think it's kind of corny. I prefer the old logo and or a real bulldog, but uh, if it's going to help the Browns create their own bulletin board material and give them something to quote-unquote defend here in Cleveland, then I'm all for it. So I used to have a hoodie with the elf on it like 15 years ago. And I, I guess I'm only bringing that point up to say, like, the Elf is vintage. The Elf is not nothing new. And I think because the Browns, you know, brought it back around three or four years ago, that all this talk about the Elf, to me, is kind of overblown. I mean, the Elf been here since the 70s and the 80s. Like, you know, some of the most vintage Browns gear display the Elf on it. The Elf has been part of the Browns culture for a very long time. The Elf is not anything new. You know, it's it's cemented with the dog pound. It's cemented with the Browns. It's part of all of that. So you got these new age players making a big deal about something that they truly don't have nothing to do. I mean, they don't know nothing about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of people don't understand that because I think when the Elf came out last year, you know, you've seen a lot of people nationally talking about the Elf, this, that, and the third. And this Elf been a part of the Cleveland culture, the Browns culture for a very long time. I promise you this is nothing new. This is not three or four years old. This thing is about 40, 50 years old. Yeah, I think I might be even one of the one people on our show other than you all that I, I love the elf. I, I kind of like that it's out on the field now, but I, I think I'm in the minority of that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I like, I like the, I like vintage Browns gear. Right. And I can just think of back to where, you know, I remember watching ESPN classics with Marty, Marty Schottenheimer walking the sidelines as the, as the Browns coach and having on the starter coat that had the elf on it. So, I mean, the elf is as is a part of the Browns culture. It's just, I, I pay it no attention because I mean these these is young dudes who born at a certain time that ain't got a blues clue about nothing that's going on. So, yeah. all, all right. right. Next, from Tyrell Keem, how concerned are you about Deshaun Watson's deep ball? I feel like that it, this is the last piece to the offense. Big plays and run and pass game. I feel we need those plays to top teams. Earl, you want to start? Uh, can you read that again? Yeah, sure. How do you feel about Deshaun Watson's deep ball? I feel like that's the last piece of the offense. Big plays in run and pass game. I feel that's what we need for those to be top teams. I mean, I think he got a strong deep ball. I just think the dude missed some throws last week. You know, I've seen Deshaun Watson complete the deep ball. He knows he missed some throws. He knows that he needs to play better from a passing aspect of of the entire thing. Um, I think he's a complete quarterback that can make every single throw. He just missed some throws. But the, I mean, everybody missed throws, so yeah. I, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, he underthrew Marquise on the the one play we were talking about. We'll break that down tomorrow. Um, it, listen, the weather was the weather was crappy. Joe Burrow played horrendous. Deshaun Watson wasn't good. And not, Deshaun I, also I, was dealing with those cramps too in the first half. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it, it is what it is. I'm like, gonna I'm give not, it a week one pass. I don't think Joe Burrow sucks all of a sudden, and I'm not ready to write off Deshaun Watson because they weren't good. It, like it is what it is. It was bad weather, tough to throw the ball. Uh, he underthrew a couple. I'd love to see him put it out a little further for Marquise Goodwin, but you know it, he was a great, not not just a good, a great and utterly top-notch, proficient deep ball thrower in Houston. He was throwing to guys like Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks and DeAndre Hopkins, and those dudes consistently were getting behind defensive backs. So I am not worried. It's not like his arm fell off. He still has elite arm talent, but uh, yeah, like up. Uh, Anyone who's worried that he can't make a deep throw now, 
I think you're way over exaggerating. Way over exaggerating. Yeah, hey Tip, hey, hey Tip, hey man, hey that's funny because you know I, I I consider myself an old soul, but you're right. I did just kind of like try to jump on some twenty year olds, like <laughs> like I'm too far, uh, like I ain't that far removed from their age, man. But at least you get the point, man. Nah, and I know you was joking, no trolls. We good. <laughs> All right, guys. So from Christopher Gillespie, what did you guys think about JOK? I think he played with plays right on time. Yeah, I, I mean, was solid. I, yeah, he yeah. was good. I thought he was solid. I thought that, you know, he got the opportunities from the defensive line, creating opportunities for him to wreak havoc, and he did that. So he did his part. Yeah, and, and here's the thing with JOK. Last year he was lost. It was a weird system for him. I don't think Joe Woods used him properly. But more importantly, the reason all the linebackers last year looked like they struggled were they were offensive guards in their face on every running play. And JOK, Walker, Taki Taki, they're not the biggest linebackers stature-wise. And it's really hard to shed an offensive lineman and make a tackle when you're giving up 100 pounds. The yeah. fact that they upgraded the defensive tackle position and they have Jim Schwartz in there now is going to make them all better just by assimilation. They're not having to shed offensive guards and then make tackles. All they have to do is make tackles because Tomlinson, Hurst, Ika, Shelby Harris, Zadarius Smith, they put him inside, Miles Garrett if he's inside. All those guys are now occupying those offensive guards when last season they were in the second level of defense. I, I, as long as they're healthy, I'm not worried about them. They're talented. Outside of San Francisco, there are very few linebacker groups in football that are across the border, like Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, All-Pro. Like It's just a position that's been devalued across the league for the most part. And the Browns have three or four guys who I think can absolutely play at that position. So it's just a matter of, can they stay healthy? And they looked good. JOK hit a couple of plays last week that I thought were, uh, were pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, we got one more for you uh, from Beast Grills. Do you think the Browns should go and pick up Collins from Cincinnati since he got cut by them this week? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they need another tackle. I don't know if Collins is the guy. I don't know who's the guy. I just have my fears that you're now trusting Jed Wills and a rookie who might be – Dewan Jones could be the greatest tackle of all time. We just got to see him start. You know what I mean? Like, we, we yeah. don't know. He might be a catastrophe. He might be the greatest of all time. We just got to see him play. More than anything else, less than I trust those two skill-wise, tackles get hurt all the time in football. Like, the offensive linemen get banged up, nicked up. Very rarely do those guys play 16, 17 games in a season. Even the best typically miss a game or two. So I think they got to bring in a tackle just for depth reasons. I wish in hindsight they still had Tyrone Wheatley, but I think they do need to bring in somebody, somebody just as an extra option because let me tell you, Alex Leatherwood, the former first-round pick they signed to the practice squad, has now been cut not from one but two teams in three years. If you have two teams say, I don't believe in a former first-round pick coming out of Nick Saban system at Alabama, it's hard for me to buy in even with Bill Callahan coaching them up. So, Earl, I don't know what you think, but... I would feel a lot better about just having a little more depth, even if whoever they bring in is not going to be a household name. I really don't care about the name. Yeah. Just go get the depth, right? Yeah. We just need to make sure we got depth at that position. I trust the offensive line coach to coach up whoever is in that room to at least be um, competent enough to go out there and, and play, you know, if they have to. So that's the only thing I'm worried about. I'm not really too worried about who the name of the offensive lineman is, but, Andrew Barry, see the situation at hand. He addressed it. He'll take care of it. Yeah, I thought Jay, Jay put it well today. When we were looking at kicking options, none of us were like, Dustin Hopkins is the guy we want. It's only one week, but he looked pretty damn good in week one. So I trust Andrew Barry to evaluate if they bring in a tackle, who is the best option at the right price. They certainly have the money. It will not be a money issue. It will be a, who does Andrew Barry think is the best fit here? Uh, we'll go for two or three more minutes, specifically – if you guys have any questions about the move to TV, we are the guys to answer it for you. So uh, ask away. If not, no worries. I hope you guys tune in on Friday. I want to reiterate again, everything we do on TV will be posted on YouTube afterwards. If you are a YouTube watcher, you will get all the exact same content. You will not miss a second. It just won't be live for you guys on YouTube. And if you can, do us a favor. Turn on Channel 3. Please watch us on Friday. We don't ask for a lot from you guys. It will do us. A massive help if you guys turn on your TV, turn to Channel 3, 
and just leave it on for how you can put us on mute. Frankly, I don't care. I hope you listen, but as long as you guys are on, uh, help us prove to channel three that not only is our show worth continuing throughout football, uh, past football season, but it's something that eventually down the line can be an added addition and trust us. I can't tell you exactly what we have in the works, but if we do well on TV, it opens up a lot of other financial avenues for us to add to the YouTube portion of the show. So if you have it, Turn on KYC on Friday at 1230. We uh, we duly appreciate it. I don't see any more questions, Ant, do you? No, it doesn't look like anything. All right, well, we're going to wrap this up then. We are back tomorrow, 11 a.m. on yours truly, the YouTube channel. Uh, Creative Juice, it is 1230 to 1 on Friday on Channel 3. 1230 to 1 o'clock on Friday. We'll post it after on uh, on YouTube, but to watch it live, that has to be on Channel 3. We've got a couple little different things. and Hey, you guys always talk about you guys talk over each other too much. Well, they only have four to five minutes per segment. It's going to be a very different feel to UCSS, but I think it's going to be a blast. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. We are back tomorrow on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. For Anthony Antonelli, for Earl Pearl, I'm Mikey McNuggets. We will see you all later. Peace. Bye, guys. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.